Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. All right, good morning, church. I'm sweating already. I haven't even started preaching yet. That's exciting. I'm so happy you're here today. I'm so thankful you're here. We're continuing our series called Jesus is Greater, working through the book of Hebrews together. We're starting chapter 4 of Hebrews today with a, with a sermon that's titled A Greater Rest. And I hope that speaks to some of you. Hopefully some of you got a little more rest last night. You got an extra hour. A lot of times we waste that and we just stay up a little later. Maybe that was you who did that last night. I just ended up staying up later. That was some of you, I bet. But This morning, we're going to be talking about this idea of how Jesus gives us an even greater rest, maybe even redefining what it looks like to really have true rest. And so our theme verse for the whole series has been Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4, where it says, This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave Him is greater than their names. Jesus is greater than. That's the ongoing concept of the book of Hebrews. And today we're going to be talking about this word rest, which appears in our text today 10 times. It is the emphasis of the writer this morning. It is the emphasis of God's word to you today. And it stems from many passages of scripture, notably one that came to mind and one I'm going to come referring back to often is where Jesus says in Matthew 11, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. These are the words of Jesus to you today, and now the writer of Hebrews is going to expound on that. So here's the question. Here's the question to you, and it's really twofold. I'm hoping to answer really two things today is, how do I get rest, and where does it come from, and how do I enter into it? Those are kind of the questions I'm trying to answer, but I guess the first question to you is just building your level of need for this thing, your level of What is my response? Do I need rest? Are you feeling weary? As this verse says, weary and heavily burdened. That is a lot of us. I feel like a consistent sense of stress among my neighbors and friends and co-workers and people in the church. There is an ongoing heaviness to how we live life. It's very busy. Those of you with children, it's very busy. But even past that, there's careers, there's bills. These things never cease. There's this this ongoing weight that we carry. And a lot of us are struggling with some kind of exhaustion that it seems like no amount of napping can cure. That that no no amount of vacation seems to really fix this thing that has us exhausted. I don't know if you've heard this and... There's a lot of you in the room who won't appreciate this, myself included, but the name of today's uh, generation who is in the workforce, entering the workforce, those Generation Z and Millennials, that's, I'm barely in that, but I'm in that. They're calling us the tired generation. The tired generation. Now, there's some reasons for that. For that, I read this article this week as to why this person thought we're considered the tired generation. One is... Technology has completely taken over. And so he, he notes this. This is out of a Pew Research study that more than 8 out of 10 millennials say they sleep with a cell phone glowing by the bed. Poised to deal with texts, phone calls, emails, songs, news, videos, games, and wake-up jingles 
8 out of 10. I think that's a little low. I think it might be higher. How many of you have done this as you're going to sleep? Hit yourself in the head with the cell phone because you passed out while watching something. It's okay. I've done it. It's pretty sad to wake up from a pain on like the, that little bridge of your nose. That's where it likes to hit. Pow! Technology takeover. Number two, it's a hustle culture. If we constantly spend time checking everything when we get home in the evening, emails, what's this person saying, social media, we make it harder and harder to unwind and prepare for sleep. We're not unwinding well. So we may even be tempted to take our work home or some other project. We're taking these things to bed with us so we don't rest. Number three, there's a lot of money worry. Student loans, inflations, medical insurance costs, saving to try to purchase a home. The average 25 to 34-year-old right now has over $40,000 in unsecured debt. That is why some call them not the tired generation, but the anxious generation. And number four, we simply have poor coping methods. Fast food, <laughs> ice cream, little to no exercise, overly dependent on medication, overconsumption of alcohol and caffeine, and you name it. Our methods of dealing with our, our tired, our anxiety, aren't working very well. But guess what, church? Those of you who aren't in the Gen Z or millennials, I got a feeling this applies to all of you. It just does. You don't have to be a younger generation to be feeling a sense of weariness and burden. You don't have to have a cell phone in your hand all the time to have a sense in the back of your mind of, oh, what am I going to do? When, when I leave this place, I know I've got to do A, B, and C. Some of you are having trouble living in this moment right now because you know there's stuff that has to happen today. You're already thinking about Monday's coming, and you're feeling weary. Consider these two questions. What is the rest that Jesus offers? And how do I enter that rest? How do I get in? That's where we're going to be today in the book of Hebrews chapter, chapter 4 verses 1 through 13. We see the author here, he encouraged these Hebrew background, background believers to strive to enter into God's rest. And we can do this as well. How do we do it? The text is going to give us, I believe, three really clear ways to enter into God's rest. So let's dig into this, this amazing text today. Verse 1 chapter 4 it says, Therefore... That means he's pointing back to everything he's said so far, and he's said a lot. So if you missed that, go back and check out, read it for yourself, but you feel free to check some of those recent sermons we went through together. But he says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, the opportunity for rest is still available, my friend. That's good news. While it still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them. But the message, but because they, they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter the rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken on the seventh day in this very way, God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today saying through David, 
So long after, in the words already quoted, Today, church, hear this. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So there remains, so then, my church, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. Now there's a lot going on in this, in this passage, and I know some of it might have been confusing to hear, but we're going to unpack it together to understand it. How do we enter into this, God, this, this rest that God is speaking of here that he has mentioned 10 plus times in this, this, this piece of scripture? First, there's a sense of urgency. And don't miss that. Understand the urgent necessity of entering by faith. The urgent necessity, he's saying now, he said this last week, we, we already began this conversation of now and today, but he's reiterating that again. There are, there are some who will hear the gospel. There are some who will hear the good news. That is, Jesus, the Son of God, has come and, and paid the ultimate sacrifice so that we could be saved. He died the death we deserved and that we couldn't pay. That's what Christ has done on the cross for us. He has paid for the sins of mankind. This is the gospel. And God raised him from the dead and he is living and active today. And moving in our lives. This is the good news in a nutshell. And the writer of, of Hebrews says here, Some will hear this message and it will not benefit them. It will be of no profit to them. They don't understand the urgent necessity of this thing that is called rest. A different kind of rest. Now the word is defined. You could go to the, you know, an English dictionary and it will say things like cessation from labor and activity, a resting place. But it also metaphorically means like a place in which God dwells, a heavenly dwelling, if you will. I like what one writer has to say about this, that... There's, there's really five ways to look at it. And maybe he's, he was working on having a worthy study of just how Jesus contains all of these elements. So here's five elements of rest, if you will. Number one, to stop working. Okay, that's a type of rest. To be, number two, to be placed or supported so as to stay in a specific position. That means I'm, I'm not moving anymore. I'm going to sit still for a bit. Number three, it's based on or grounded in. So, so this is the kind of, of rest that I, I'm no longer, my, the way in which I leave is now, live is now grounded. I'm not fluctuating in my lifestyle. That's a type of rest. Number four is simply relaxation, refreshing, maybe sleep. And then number five, interestingly enough, is like a legal kind of thing where it says, we say this in our courtrooms, the prosecution rests. That means I've... I've I've, I've now given all of the possible legal things against this person. Now I'm done with that. And that's what's happened to you and I, is that the enemy has now lobbed every sort of accusation it can make at us. And Jesus has simply said, all right, I paid for that. I paid for that. I paid for that. 
And the prosecution's like, well, I got nothing else. Prosecution rests. Do you see how Jesus might contain all of these elements? That rest in him is an ultimate kind of rest. And maybe something far beyond just stopping work. Just not working anymore. This is an amazing thing. Now verse 1 says, while it still stands. Do you see that urgency? I'm baffled by the amount of people I run into uh, and have run into in my life that'll say, okay, I kind of understand what you're saying about this good news, about this Jesus. I understand, at least in my head, that I've got problems and I need help. But right now, I just don't have time for this. I I don't want to deal with this thing, this gospel right now. And like the verse says, it didn't benefit them initially. They, they thought, in fact, that it would move them from the things that they thought were most beneficial. The kinds of things like, uh, I just want to live my life. I don't want to have any sense of obedience to him. And so it didn't benefit them. But there's coming a time where this rest will no longer stand. And we don't know when that is. And I'm not going to get up here and tell you to drink the Kool-Aid and he's coming tomorrow. I have no idea. But I will say this, I will say this, church, and hear me on this, there's not a lot left that hasn't happened. My understanding of the book of Revelation, as well as the book of Daniel, and these other, what we call eschatological, that's just a big word for the end times. A lot of these books, it would seem, have been fulfilled. It's hard to believe that there are many people left on this earth that haven't had an opportunity to hear the gospel. That every, every tribe will hear. Boy, the internet has changed that reality, hasn't it? This, it seems it could happen at any time. Now, I don't know when, but I know this. There's a coming a time where this rest will no longer stand. Where your opportunity... And what's even sadder about that is you're thinking that this is some kind of humdrum life that when I finally enter into the rest of God, that somehow I'm not going to be in the best place of my life. That is a complete misunderstanding of the gospel. That when I finally say yes to Jesus, I'm missing the part where I'm finally going to experience true purpose and joy and peace. What am I thinking that, oh, I need to sow my wild oats or I want to live for myself? How good has that been going for you? It didn't go so well for me. It hasn't gone so well for me, in fact, when I don't allow Jesus to be the, the, the king of my life. When I take charge again as a believer, it goes terribly bad. This word Rest and this word peace are so much buddies. They're they're synonymous for one another. And when I live for myself and not for him, I can't find peace. It's like invisible to me. So it's a fascinating thing that you would think, oh, I'll put that off. No, if you see the benefits of it, and if you rightly understood it, you would receive it and devote your life to it. Because this is what you were made for. Now, verse 1, I have to admit, is one of the more troubling passages that we are dealing with today. He says, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. There is something something that we're told to fear. Us here goes back to chapter 3 where he has said, holy brothers, let us fear what? Well, faith and fear don't really go together too well. It seems like he's kind of contradicting himself, but he's not. Because here's what he's saying. You should fear faithlessness. You should fear unbelief. 
What does that mean as, as, as Christians in the room? And, and um, that's all right, many of us this morning. That we would look at those areas where we, we deal with doubt, unbelief, and faithlessness. And rather than just run from them and just say, oh, that's always going to be there. That we would go headlong at it and say, Christ, help me in this spot. That we would lay our unbelief at the feet of Jesus. Just like the man whose, whose child was being about to be healed. He's, he said, I believe you, Jesus. I believe that you can do it, but... Help me with my unbelief. I have good news for you today, church. Your pastor, I have doubts. I do. I doubt things from time to time. Generally, what I doubt is my calling and what God's asked me to do. I doubt that at times. Sometimes I even have doubts when I try to consider heaven and what is to come. It is so beyond my understanding that it calls me struggle. calls me to struggle at times. But do you know what I do with that? I said, Jesus, help me with my unbelief. I'm laying this at your feet. The writer here of Hebrews says, there's something that you should not take your eyes off of. And that's your faithlessness. That's your unbelief. Don't just shrug that off. There's a good news that's come to benefit. And verse 2 says, now it's united us in the faith. Hearing the good news about Christ is the prerequisite for believing. Romans chapter 10, in fact, says it this way. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have not heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? So faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ. Have you heard? And if you have heard, has it benefited you? And have you said yes to that now? Said, all right, I believe and now morning, I'm now going to allow that to impact the way that I live. This is also an emphasis for you believers in the room who would go, okay, how is it that my, my sister, that my brother, that my parent, that my kid, my coworker, my family member, how is it that they're going to receive the good news? First, by hearing, which is an emphasis on you and I. That God chose the mechanism of people to deliver his message. Now, I'm fascinated by that. God could have done it a lot of different ways, but for whatever reason, he decided, I'm going to let humanity be my messengers. I'm going to let them be a part of my kingdom come. I love it, and I'm afraid of it all at the same time. Because the emphasis is on you and I. Stop assuming, hey, you know what? My, my, My neighbor, my... My dear sister, my, my mother, someone else is going to tell them. Perhaps not. The good news is in your hands. How can they believe unless they've heard it? Because faith is not about earning this rest, but receiving it. Ephesians chapter 2 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, this is a fascinating thing, that you can move from knowledge to belief to, like, commitment, if you will. Let me, let me paint for you a picture for a second of this urgency of needing to enter into the rest of Jesus, this, this, this big R, capital R, rest. There's a lot of things in this life that you might believe are true on, on a head knowledge kind of thing. For instance... Raise your hand if you believe that planes can fly. Yeah, some of you are like, I think you believe, but you just don't care to raise your hand. That's okay. Be that way. Um, 
Maybe there's some unbelievers in the room that don't think air travel is possible. That's amazing. I've been on a plane. It flew. Praise God. I've done this a couple times. Some of you in the room are terribly frightened by plane travel. You know who you are. You grimace at the thought. If you've never been on a plane, you've never flown on a plane, you might have the knowledge that it can fly, but have you stepped foot on it and said, hey, this thing will fly? This, what do you know? This got me from point A to point B in the sky. Wow. Air travel. There's a difference between having a head knowledge and, saying, and seeing images. And I've seen planes fly by in the sky, in fact. It seems like they're floating somehow. But actually getting in one and going, that's a different level of commitment. There's a lot of you in the room, and I used to do this too, where when, when me and my wife were first married, we, we had a plan to have children, and we would watch other people with their children and go, hey, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. I can't believe they would let their kid do that. And then, then we had four, and we can't even figure out how those people did as well as they did, you know? <laughs> We've got a mess on our hands. Until you have those children, it's all, it's all in your head. It's all knowledge, but commitment. Is taking the action. Oh, I really thought that Nicole was going to be a good wife. But until I said I do, did I really know? I had no clue. And we've had good fights, bad fights. We've done a lot together, but we survived. I couldn't have known until I said yes. There's some of you in the room that, that you've not entered into the rest of Christ because it's some kind of head knowledge for you. You've not, you've not made this thing we call assent, this kind of commitment that says, he's not just merely my rest in theory. He's actually my rest. This thing isn't theoretical for me anymore where, oh, I like what Pastor Jonathan has to say. I like what the Bible has to say about this Jesus who can be my, not only my current but my final resting place. That, that there's this wonderful thing that I can have in Christ. I love that in theory, but what does that mean for me? Well, until you take the yes step, the I do, which means, all right, I'm not my own. I am yours. You created me for yourself. I want you, God, now to lead me according to your purpose and not my own. This means tomorrow morning, I'm desiring a conversation with my creator. I'm not going to just believe this in theory. Oh, it sounds like other people have these wonderful devotional times. Really? That's not rest for you. That's rest for them. You must enter that rest, and it's super urgent. There's something fascinating that's going on here in this text. That there's an opportunity that still stands for some of you in the room. You've never put that yes on the table. You You never walked down the aisle and said, I do. You never did. It's a theory to you. And you can't possibly imagine the kind of rest that comes in Jesus such that when the bills pile up, when the work goes crazy, when the kids are acting up, when, I, when the doctor says cancer, when whatever, when I have that type of rest in Christ, I have a sense of peace in the storm. And you won't experience that in theory. Let us fear not entering that rest. Have faith instead. Here's the second way. Recognize the ultimate fulfillment of this rest is found only in Jesus. 
Only in Jesus. Now this is, this is a nuanced point now. He's changing it up a little bit. As he's done in every single section of Scripture so far, he's painting a picture as to why Jesus is greater than something else that you may have put your hope in. Uh, greater than, for the Jewish people, he's greater than Moses, who is a person that they had lifted up to a high, high pedestal. And for some good reasons, because he was a great spiritual leader, but his leadership was by God's grace and not his own. Now, now in this middle section, he's going to deal with some other things to include the person Joshua. So he says, at this point, he's greater than the angels. He, he, he's greater than Moses. He's greater than the law. He is he's the fulfillment of the law. He's, now he's greater than Moses, and guess what else? Or greater than Joshua, and also greater than the Sabbath. These are things that this people group were holding at a very, very high standard. Joshua, the man who took us into the promised land. The the man who got us from from being in the wilderness all that time to finally crossing the Jordan and helping us take the land. That's That's an amazing dude. In fact, if you read the book of Joshua, if you read about this character, he's got very little flaws ever mentioned. He's a fascinating leader. And now this the, the fourth commandment is in view? Greater than the fourth commandment of God, the Sabbath? Why is he greater than the Sabbath? Because he is the Sabbath. And it's, not, it's no longer a day, it's a person. Which means I don't have to wait. I don't have to wait every seven days to have rest. I can have rest every day, every moment of every day, because this Sabbath is now Jesus, not a day. This is a greater, greater piece of news. The work now has been finished, as verse 3 says. He's laid this as a foundation. And then verse 4, the writer then then quotes Genesis chapter 2, going back to the creation of things that God had already put this emphasis of Sabbath rest in from day 1. That from the moment of creation, God had a Sabbath rest himself. Genesis chapter 2, it says, On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So what's the writer doing here? He's saying, you know what? This Jesus, what Christ has now come and done, is even greater than that. Even greater than this Joshua. It's amazing if you read the word Joshua in the Greek, it's the word Jesus. Did you know this? Did you know Joshua and Jesus are the same name in Greek? They both mean God's salvation. But here in context, we know he's speaking of this former Savior, if you will, an imperfect Savior, Named Joshua. And what does he have to say? He says, look, what he did was great. He brought them a type of rest. But it wasn't a permanent one. Go back and read just a little bit of the book of Joshua. (laughs) Read just a little bit of 1 Samuel and you'll find out. This don't feel like rest. They were in constant conflict conflict for hundreds of years. Yes, they were given this promised land which was rich in its wealth and its nutrients and it's a great place but it's not the kind of rest in every way it's certainly not a place of peace he brought them an imperfect kind of rest and in fact the writer here in verse 8 says this if if Joshua had truly given them rest then God wouldn't have been speaking about another day 
Because when David writes, and again, this is referring to last week where we spoke about these verses that are in quotes here come out of Psalm 95. They come out of Psalm 95. And just so you know, that's written decades, hundreds of years after Joshua. Maybe not hundreds, but certainly decades after Joshua. You've got, you've got King Saul and then King David. And David is now here writing in Psalm 95, not merely reflecting on the past, but saying, oh no, today, today, if you hear the voice of the Lord, don't harden your, your hearts. That there's another rest that's coming. Why did he speak like that? Unless the rest that came in the promised land through Joshua was not his ultimate desire for us. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the fulfillment of it. Look at Mark chapter 2. He said to them, Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Matthew 5, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. What does this mean? That He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is our Sabbath rest. Psalm 37, in fact, previously had already said, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. So what has He done? Why is He a greater rest? Because He's greater than any type of rest that's ever been mentioned in God's Word. He begins with creation. God rested on the seventh day. But Jesus will be a perpetual rest. He goes to the fall, in fact, that man was not... (laughs) That's what Mark's talking about there is that man, that Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. God's original intent was not that man would Sabbath, but that man would rest in Jesus. But then man fell and messed up, and so God had to implement this thing. Otherwise, guess what we'll do? We'll never pause. We, we will never pause. And this is a side note, not, not to get you to start Sabbathing, if you will. But some of you need to build some margin into your lives. You don't, you don't ever take a day. And I don't mean a day to just lounge around and do nothing. I mean a day to separate yourself from everything else you're doing all the time and just rest in the Lord. A, a day a week is not too much. Do you really need to work six, seven days a week? Absolutely not. You just don't. Some of you might need a new job if that's the case. This life is short, and we have very limited time to spend enjoying our Savior and learning and, and growing in Him and resting in Him. Now, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath, because otherwise man will just go, 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 and never consider his Lord. He paints a third picture, not just creation, not just fall, but also redemption, that now Jesus has completed His work By resting on the seventh day. When did Jesus rest? He rested in the tomb on the seventh day. And then he rose on the first. Just so you know, that's why we do church on Sundays. The Lord's day. The day Jesus rose. He rested in the tomb for us so that we would now have a Sabbath in him. And then in glory, Adam and Eve, they never... If it was a return just to the garden scene prior to the fall, Adam and Eve, they knew nothing of trouble and worry and suffering. I want you to understand that our Sabbath, our rest that's coming, eternal rest is even better than what they experienced. And here's why. Because just like you, my friend, we have experienced weariness. 
and heaviness and pain and the breakdown of the body and, and, and just the weight of this life and the, and the death and the pain. And, and when Jesus, it says, will wipe away every tear and live in eternal fellowship with us, that's going to feel a certain way. It's going to feel amazing. A, a, an understanding that the original garden couldn't have even pictured. He is our Sabbath rest. Just as St. Augustine once said, Thou hast made us for Thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless till we find their rest in Thee. Will you find your rest in Jesus? That's the big question. Some, the, the fact is this, we will try to find rest. We just will. We will eventually get too tired and say, Alright, I've got I've to hang it up. And where will we go to find that rest? Will we find it in the bed? Will we find it in the next meal? Oh, finally, I've been waiting on my cheat day all week. Some of you are doing this. Yay, a cheat day! So I can cheat on and eat a bunch of junk. Some people say it really works. I don't know. But if that's what you've been hungry for all week, no pun intended, that's what you've been wanting all week is, oh, I can't wait for my cheat day. Oh, I can't wait for Saturday where finally the things I do every single day are just a break, just a pause. I learned something yesterday that I've learned a hundred billion times, and that is I, we had nothing to do yesterday. I know you might feel jealous, but just know this is extremely rare in the Combs house. There are six of us. There's stuff to do, it seems like, all the time. Yesterday, the stars aligned. We had nothing to do. And so we did nothing. And at the end of the day, I didn't feel restful. Is that strange to you? Or do you understand what I mean that you don't find rest in nothingness? You don't find rest watching TV all day. You don't find rest sleeping in, which some reason my body would not do. 7.30 yesterday morning, I'm like, I want to just, I want to sleep until noon. Just, I want to go full teenage mode. Couldn't do it. 7.30, my stomach was gurgling. Get out of bed. And I did nothing all day, and I didn't feel restful at the end of the day. Instead, everything that I know is coming on Sunday and then Monday, all of it was in the back of my head, just squirreling around, and I felt no rest. Because rest doesn't come in nothingness. It comes in the Savior. Rest is in that place. Do you understand this? This is why he ends this way, and I want to give you this as my final application. Give unblinking diligence to applying God's word. Trying to kind of paint a mental picture there for you. Don't take your eyes off of this. Don't take your eyes off of applying the word of God. That's why he ends this whole phrase in the weirdest of ways. Isn't this weird to you? Just hear it again for me for a second. Verse 11, the writer says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Now that makes no sense. I need to work to rest. Are you hearing it that way? Because it sounds weird to me. But again, yesterday is a reminder of why this is true. And I want to unpack that even further. Let us strive as the, uh, as the idea of be diligent, study, make haste to enter into that rest. That means I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be working really hard tonight so that when I wake up and enter that rest first thing in the morning, I'm going to be prepared to do it. That I've got my eyes set on that prize. No longer am I thinking, oh, I can't wait for Saturday. No, I can't wait for my next just undistracted un, um, time with the Savior. I can't wait for that. 
Some of, you, some of you have some great habits, some great discipline kind of habits in your life. Let me add one that's even more important, even more amazing. Some of you, you know, tomorrow morning I'm going to get up and I've got to get up before work, so I'm, I'm already going to have the coffee maker ready to brew. Some of you are doing this. Some of you are like, I've got to get my workout in before I go to work, so you've already got your clothes laid out, you've got the time set, you're going to bed on time. That's great. What if you had that sort of eye, that sort of obedience to time spent with the Savior? That this stuff, this other stuff you're doing, will it impacts you in a positive way. It sends triggers to the brain that go, oh, you're doing well. But it's not quite rest. What would it mean to now have this diligent look at the Savior. And he goes in. Now look where he, he ends. There's a reason he ends here in verse 12. It might sound like an aside to you. It's not. The writer is saying. Do you want to understand how to enter into the rest of God? How to strive for that? The word of God. Verse 12. It's living. It's active. It's sharper than any sword. It pierces the division of soul. That means when I enter into this place. Enter his rest. With his word. He is going to pierce my heart. And begin to bring to light those things which are stealing my joy. The things that are robbing me of peace. You may not even be able to put your finger on it. You ever had days where you can't figure out why you're mad, but you're mad? Days where you're just anxious and depressed and you can't put your thumb on it? I have them all the time. I don't think I'm weird. Sometimes the most small, small little thing will just spark my anger. I'll be angry for hours. And I'm like, I don't even remember what that was. The word of God pierces every division of the soul. It says, ah, let, me, let, me, let me pull that out, Jonathan. Hey, take a look, take a, take a look at this. Oh, I see. I see. I'm going to lay that at your feet there, Lord. I'm going to make <laughs> diligent my time spent with the Lord in his word. My time spent with him in true rest. This is a game changer, church. You thought it was great that you got up and worked out. You thought it was great that you had, you know, the coffee automatically brewing so that you come awake and go, ooh. Wait until you start having a daily time spent with the Lord and you start to see him move. I'm not going to promise you this is going to happen tomorrow. Because guess what I've learned? It takes a little while to run. It takes a little getting used to. Some of you who have never been good swimmers or good bike riders, I could throw you in a pool right now and you'll borderline drown. But if I did it to you every single day, you'd get it, you'd get it worked out. This thing takes a little bit of time. And you start to see God move in your life. You start to see His words apply. It may seem strange to hear this strive or work to find rest, but it is so true. In fact, Jesus reiterates himself this very, this very premise. I, I quoted the first half of this earlier in Matthew chapter 11. It says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We love that piece, but look what he says next. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This means, church, 
Good news, there's a greater rest. It's better than sleep. It's better than donuts. It's, it's better than I don't have any bills to pay. It's better than I finally have a day off. Those things are great. I'm not saying don't do those things. Wonderful, but that's not rest. Because rest is not in nothingness or the lightening of load, but getting a better load. To remove one's yoke and lay it at the feet of Jesus and say, I want to live for you. That's rest. It's not in what you don't do, it's what you do. Come to me, all who are heavy laden and weary, and I'm going to take this block off that you've been trying to carry that's not for you. I already carried it. I already carried it on my shoulders up that hill. It's done. Take mine. It's light. And it's easy. And you'll find what? You will find rest for your souls. Why is this true? I, I would ask you, church, just test this. If, if you don't know this already, and I'm guessing that this is all ringing true as you think about it, that you don't feel your spiritual tank with nothingness. You just don't. You feel it in His presence. That what I pray is happening right here on a Sunday morning. You took the time to get out of bed, to get dressed, to come here, to worship. I'm prayerful that the reason you did that is that your spiritual tank is filling. That we've begun a process today that you will finish this week. Of filling your tank and rest with Jesus. Not with nothingness, which doesn't work. Because this thing, this thing we call it, and I mentioned this for some reason at small group this week, but I've kept chewing on it. This idea of the law of entropy applies both not just to physical things, but also to our spiritual lives. So this law means simply this. It's a very fascinating, it's in the second law of thermodynamics anyway. You can sound real smart knowing this, I guess. But the law of entropy is the idea that things will spiral farther, farther into disorder unless an outside source is applied and fixes that. So things, essentially what it means is things are going to spiral worse unless you put some work in. Did you know this is absolutely true in your spiritual life? If you make the decision, all right, I've been saved, I've received this fire insurance, I believe in the gospel, I believe in this Jesus, and now that's, that's in the past. You will find your peace, your joy, your purpose, your understanding of His Word spiraling down until finally you decide, let us strive to enter into that rest. All right? I've never tried this. I've never tried to have a daily time in prayer with the Lord. I've never tried to be daily in His Word. Let me move that from theoretical to experiential. And watch God move. Watch real rest come into your life. There are many voices promising rest today. Some of them are rattling in your head right now. But there's only one who is truly able. I pray for you, church, that you would not lean on nothingness, but lean on your Savior. Let's pray now together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you are a God who loves us. That you, you are a God who loves us so much that you saved us even from, not just from sin, which is amazing in and of itself. Not just from this, this brokenness and shame, this stuff we couldn't solve. That's a miraculous thing already. But you saved us from ourselves. This, this habit we have 
of looking for rest everywhere else but you. This habit we have of thinking, oh, if I just had this, or if I just had a day off, or if I just had this go well, if, if I didn't have these bills to pay, or if my kids would just... And there's a litany of reasons why we think if we don't have rest. But God, you're the kind of God who loves us so much that you move even in the midst of that. And you provide an answer to those questions, God, that we couldn't answer for ourselves. And, and, and the big question is, why, why when everything goes right, do I, do I still not feel a sense of peace every time? Why when everything goes perfect, am I not at rest? I'm thankful, Lord. I'm thankful today that you've provided a rest that isn't based on circumstances. I'm thankful for that today, Lord, that you are the kind of rest for us, for our souls, that goes beyond happenings in our life. That I can have real joy that isn't based on my circumstances, that isn't based on everything going right in my life. Because sometimes it rains and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes things go well and sometimes they don't. And yet, God, you have offered me the kind of rest that I can have every moment of every day in spite of my problems. More than that, right in the midst of my problems. I'm thankful for you today, Lord. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who died for me and died for us, died for this church, that we could be set free. I'm thankful, Lord, today for the resurrection, which gives me great hope. And I'm asking now, Lord, would you move us in this place, myself included, from a point of knowledge, a point of even uh, in, like an infant type of belief, would you move us to commitment? That we wouldn't simply believe theoretically, God, your rest, but that we would enter into that place. That we would test you in this. Because, God, I believe your word. And if I believe it, I'm asking now, God, encourage me, embolden me, strengthen me to be daily in it. That I would not miss an opportunity for communion with you. Do that in our church, Lord. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.